Next week, um, are not planning to have this Sunday school, but we are having Sunday school in the big room, in the uh, gym. So please, please, please go to Sunday school anyway. Um, it won't be in here kind of due to Black Mountain and some other things that are, are keeping us from um, being able to have it. And then on the 19th uh, will be our last Romans. That's a tear in my eye. Two, like we say at school, a tear in the eye and two in the ear. Maybe. So uh, that's going to be um, not fun to have it over with. I feel like just starting back up with chapter one again, I don't know that there's going to be many takers on that. But uh, Grant, there would be a taker on that. But um, we are then uh, looking at the Providence series, and that will be in the gym. I'm very, very excited about that. And that will be, a, um, I think, just a joyful time uh, of really becoming more and more just excited and uh, joy. I think it'll be a, a series flooded with joy as we realize how little we're in control and how much we know the Lord is. And that's that's just great, great news. But today, also great news, Papa, in um, Romans 15. Um, and maybe today, let's just start by reading... Um, one, two, what is that, a seven? And then we will um, kind of keep reading as we go here. But uh, you might remember in chapter 14 that Paul really encouraged the weaker brother and the stronger brother. Um, both of them had a different problem, some different temptations, but also some different strengths. And in chapter 14, 1 to 12, they were to, the strong brother was to... Well, they're really to welcome one another, because Christ welcomes us, right? That was the, uh, the the idea. And then chapter 14, 13 to 23, the strong Christian should not cause the brother or sister to uh, stumble. Um, the weaker one, now we're really to the strong Christian, um, is to build up the weaker brother or stronger um, or sister. <clears throat> as Christ did, and then finally we're, we're focusing on God's glory, that the Jews and the Gentiles are both um, justified and now being sanctified in order to give God uh, much glory. Papa, would you pray for us? Josh, would you read 1 to um, 7 for starters, and then we'll turn it over to Grant. Thank you, Jerry. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to just open your word on this beautiful uh, Lord's Day and to uh, uh, talk about Romans 15. Uh, we need your help. We need your spirit. We need your enlightenment as we uh, uh, exposit your word, Lord. It's, uh, your word is all we need to, uh, for godliness and, uh, and for competence and teaching and reproof and and so many different uh, areas of our life and we get the joy uh, of sitting down and uh, talking about that this afternoon in Romans uh, 15 so thank you uh, Lord in Jesus name Amen Amen Josh how about 1 to 7 verse 1 alright verse 1 we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. 
For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Good. Hey, Grant, before you uh, start us and take us back to 14 to make the connection here a little bit, um, glorifying God and hope seem like two kind of constant themes in this chapter. So look for those kind of as we um, uh, go and remember that hope in the New Testament is always in an eager anticipation of what we know is to come. It's not iffy. It's not a hope that, man, I hope that that happens and it might or might not happen. These are things that we're sure are going to happen. It's an anticipation. It's eager. Like the old ketchup commercial. you got to be old with a, uh, was it Heinz or was it Miss Elizabeth Heinz? Okay, good. Yeah, that anticipation, Grant, probably before your day. Have to look that one up I on think so. YouTube. Yeah, might have been before Papa. You remember. That was before the flood. Yeah, before the flood, right. Yeah, you were just seven, right? But Grant, how about uh, helping us here make the connection with 14 and 15? Yeah, so I don't know that I have you know, anything novel or, or a lot today. I listened to John MacArthur's sermon on this and was a little comforted because he said this subject for him is like giving ice to Eskimos. It's not something that the congregation lacked in knowledge in. It was something that was just important by way of reminder uh, for him to present to them um, because we're always encountering one another. We're living with one another. Uh, and Josh will get into the one another aspect of the Christian body. And so it's a very important thing to be reminded of. Um, and I'm probably just going to repeat a lot of what y'all said on the last, uh, last week, but probably still worth it. I know it is for myself. Um, so we start with, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So John MacArthur says a strong believer is not talking so much about just spiritual growth, although that's part of it. A strong believer is a believer who understands his liberty. He understands what he is free to do. And there's nothing wrong with being strong. We would want to be strong. Paul says we. He includes himself in the strong group. He knew his liberties. But the point here is that we have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And I think it can be tempting to sort of read that as in tolerate the weaknesses of the weak, almost this sort of begrudging uh, tolerance of someone where you just kind of sigh and say, okay, well, let's talk about that and figure out what to do. But in actuality, this bear or bastadzo in the Greek is to take up with the hands or take up in order to carry or bear or to put oneself under something to support it so that it can be carried is to come alongside of someone. It's the same as Galatians 6.2, to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's not a begrudging thing. It's something that we should look forward to doing to help our brother because I think, as y'all said last week, I think we probably all float in and out of this strong and weak category depending on what the subject is. Uh, I know for myself that's certainly true. Temptations to be weaker in some areas and to be strong in some areas, and we don't want to despise either way, but we should seek to bear someone up and help them understand the liberty that is available to them in Christ. And we're also not to please ourselves, but to please our neighbor, which is an interesting phrase, to please our neighbor. But this idea, I think, 
permeates the New Testament um, as a pattern for the believer. Not taking, but giving up for the sake of others, sacrificial living. And I think one way to think about this is that's the idea behind meekness. The New Testament talks a lot about meekness. I think that's something today that at least I was very confused on. It seemed to be someone who was always capitulating, never spoke up, never stands for anything. But in actuality, it's nothing of the sort because Christ was meek. Um, but I think actually meekness, to be meek, you have to have strength. It means not bearing the sword for your own sake, bearing the wrongs of others without returning them, even though you have the ability and the strength to return them, having great power and choosing not to wield it against others for their harm. Um, I think especially with the tongue, but bearing that, uh, bearing that strength or sword for the cause of Christ rather than our own self-interest. Um, that is how we have our Lord cleansing the temple, but also bearing with much insults and other places. Uh, one pastor put it this way, being a lamb for our own cause and a lion for the cause of Christ. It is selflessness and using our strength for the sake of God rather than our own self-interest. So I think that's a similar idea to what Paul is getting at here. Uh, more so in the terms of freedom rather than interpersonal conflict and, and meekness. But So we don't look to our own uh, uh, selfishness in this. We don't flaunt our freedom because we have the power or ability or strength to do so. We sheath or temporarily sheath that sword for the sake of our brother who is weaker. This doesn't mean, though, that we're people pleasers, which Paul talks against in other passages, um, we're not doing this to be more liked or to ingratiate ourselves to someone, uh, but doing so in a way that builds them up for their good. I think that's the key, key phrase here. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. And then we get the example, for Christ did not please himself. So we're not talking about capitulating in areas that we can't. Uh, we're not talking about pleasing men by adjusting the gospel so that we, they want to hear it. And we're also not talking about pleasing men by ignoring their sin, is what John MacArthur said. And I think a good test for this would be, what is my temptation in a given situation? Am I tempted to capitulate in some area to please someone? Uh, or am I tempted to sort of demand my way in some area? And I think that can help give insight into what, you know, which category are, are we falling in here? Um, pleasing our brother for their good is giving up freedoms for their good while we attempt to help them enjoy the same freedom for themselves. And I think that's what y'all talked about a little bit last week, instructing someone's conscience. It doesn't mean that you agree with them. I think Paul is assuming disagreement here with um, maybe not flaunting the freedom but having robust discussion about it. And we lift them up to help them understand their freedom. We do not want to cause them to go deeper into their weaknesses because of our flaunting of our freedom, um, but we give up our freedom temporarily for them to, to help them remove the yoke that they have placed on themselves, and I thought this was a great summary from John MacArthur. We are responsible who are strong for the spiritual growth of the weak. Now, I'm not saying that we sacrifice God's truth for the sake of harmony, but I am saying that in these neutral areas, uh, things we seek to build the weak by setting apart our own liberty for the sake of strengthening them. The point is, if you flaunt your liberty, they'll be even weaker. They'll run the other way. The offense will drive them deeper into their own little ceremonial taboos. In order to bring them out of that, we need to be sure that we carefully and cautiously 
do what pleases them. And I think the example of that is what's given here is Christ did not come to please himself. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. And that's, I think, the ultimate example for us of someone strong interacting with someone weak. Christ, infinitely strong, infinitely free, humbling himself in the incarnation to deal with us infinitely weak creatures lost in our sin. That can be, if that's the argument from the greater to the lesser. If Christ can come alongside us in our weaknesses and bear us up and deal with us, we can do that for the sake of our brother. And I know that's, especially for men, that can be difficult to do, to feel bound in some areas, but it takes um, having the debt of love for our brother, and that's how, you know, in many ways we know that there, we belong to Christ as the love that we have for one another, and I think, Josh, maybe you'll get into that more in a moment of how we interact with one another in the church, but I thought that was a good summary from John MacArthur on, on what that meant. No, that's really a good summary. Wow, Josh, that's never uh, easy to fall grant. That's what I'm saying. That's not where you, how you going to top that? But look at 13.8, uh, what you said there at the end there, Grant. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. And aren't we, I mean, we're probably starting, even if you take a step back to chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 here, about really looking at how we love each other. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is good and acceptable and perfect. And he goes on to talk about love, really, in 12, 13, 14, and now 15, how we love each other. And boy, in, in typical Pauline fashion, Jesus is our example um, Josh, help us here with the one another's. And and I like the way you're connecting all the way back to 12 to 15. And, and then it, which just shows how important this this is that we, we, we get this and start having a grasp on this. Yes. Can I, before I get to the one another's, can I talk just briefly on verse uh, verse 4 and 5 just on encouragement and endurance coming from the scriptures yeah. and um, Paul sort of takes a, a brief aside here to, to mention this um, for in verse 4 and 5 and I think it's, it's worth saying that we go to the scriptures for encouragement and for endurance. Verse 4, whatever is written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And you probably think about your own life and the, the day-to-day operations of what you do. And a lot of times when we don't have an inward hope, uh, ultimately that comes through our understanding of the gospel and why we're here, what we're here for, and where we're going, life can seem oftentimes very meaningless and purposeless. Um, but it's through the scriptures that we have this endurance and perseverance and and future hope. One pastor defined perseverance as the ability to bear up under pressure. And as Paul's saying, we can look across the Old Testament for countless examples of how God acted and who he is and then the many characters that God sustained to bear up under pressure, uh, just a few. 
here Noah before the flood. Think about him living in a land of iniquity. And God sustained and preserved him to build the ark. Uh, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. How about Job losing ten children in a matter of uh, minutes? And then David being chased out of his kingdom. Uh, we, in the Old Testament, we have countless examples of living men and women who were sustained by the right hand of the Lord and where his providence is governing, sustaining, and directing all things. I think probably in our own lives, just to get practical for a second, if we need encouragement, if we need hope, how important is it to turn to the promises of God and turn to his character and to do that? I think we've got to get in the word and feast on the promises of God. I know you have the big promises sheet that you went to time and time again, and you'd probably say it was critical to your own joy and uh, future hope in the Christian life. And a 100% success rate, Josh. That's what I love about scriptures. Like it's never, if I will dwell in there, there's never a time where it hasn't, that now I can be stubborn and not digest it, but if I will, there, there's never a time that it isn't successful, which is not shouldn't be shocking, but it's just there isn't anything else that is 100% of the time successful, for sure. Yeah. Chocolate isn't, <laughs> or really anything, pizza, you know, it doesn't matter. Whatever we're hiding our our sorrows in is not going to ever do it like, like Scripture does. Yeah, that's really good. I, I like to go to, you mentioned a couple OT characters, David and and uh, so on um, Job I like to go to Hebrews 11 now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen and you just go on and on and on about the various characters of where God demonstrated uh, uh, through faith the hope that we have and, and, and these characters didn't see the hope I mean Abraham never saw his offspring as plentiful as the stars but ultimately that was the case Man, so. yeah. And Josh, thank you for making the connection. I can't wait to hear about the one and others here. But thank you for, do you see the connection that Josh is making from 15.4, whatever is written in the former days, written for instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. That did take us all the way back where we were talking a second ago to where do not be conformed to this world. Okay, so what we're not supposed to do, but be transformed by what? The renewal, renewal of your mind. mind. And that's what bathing our mind in Scripture, just like you challenged us to do. It renews our mind. It makes us uh, believe less of those lies that kind of commonly, by from all the voices that are chirping at us, we, we start, in, including our own um, sinful heart sometimes, and then... We, we renew our mind by, by flooding it with Scripture, and then there's this hope that flows out of that. Faith and love spring from that hope, according to Titus and Colossians. And so, so much is, I think, dependent on where we're getting our hope, whether that's coming from Scripture and when it does. Mm, yeah, you know, Katie bar the doors as far as our the joy that can exude out of us. Yeah. I have one question for Grant. You mentioned neighbor. Yeah. I've got uh, eight or nine for Grant. <laughs> uh, that, that's interesting, inclusion. 
you know, I, I, some commentators say that's that's the extent. You know, we, brothers and sisters in Christ, we that's the, that's our, our body. But this this is neighbor, and I think about the Good Samaritan story. Mm. And who is our neighbor? And then as the gospel and and aid extends to the hope of the Jews and the Gentiles. I mean, that's everybody, as Bodhi would say, everybody. Yeah. Yeah, he would. No, that's right. <laughs> and we're getting to those Gentiles next here in that long list of, uh, you know, Old Testament passages. Josh, how about the one another here? Yeah, so maybe just to set the scene a little bit before I talk about these two very important New Testament words with the one another. One through seven seems to be a, a continuation of 14, but also wrapping it up before Paul transitions a little bit in verse eight. But the theme really is his great desire for unity. Paul knows there are disagreements in the church, and he's teaching how believers live in harmony, uh, even in spite of these, and, and really saying believers should not condemn, the strong should not condemn or despise the weaker brothers. I thought um, maybe if you want to think about this phrase as sort of summing up the section, believers live in unity when the strong bear with the failings of the weak and all welcome one another as they have been welcomed by Christ unto the glory of God. And Steve Lawson said, the strong have a spiritual and moral obligation to bear with the failings and weaknesses of those without strength. It's not to withdraw into the circle of the strong, uh, but to get under the load with the weak and to carry their burdens. That's Paul's charge to those who would consider themselves strong. We see that in Galatians 6, 2, to bear one another's burdens. And here in verses 5 and 7, this phrase comes up again, uh, that you live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And one pastor said these two words, one another, were sort of like the two words that bound all of chapter 12 through 15 together. And then just in these verses, I'm going to read uh, a couple other places you see this phrase, one another, come up. 12.10, Paul says, be devoted to one another, love one another. 12.16, live in harmony with one another. Uh, chapter 13, verse 8, Owe nothing except to love one another. 14.13, Let us not judge one another. 14.19, Let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual building up. 15.5, Live in harmony with one another. 15.7, Welcome one another. 15.14, Instruct one another. And so, I mean... Constantly throughout 12 through 15 we see it, but it's not just a Romans theme, it's a New Testament theme. And I was just looking at uh, this book where the author looks at all the instances in the New Testament where there's a command attached to a one another. And I won't read them all because there's, I think, about 35 or so, but just a sampling. We just got from Romans here some other places in scripture, comfort one another, encourage and build up one another, be at peace with one another, seek good for one another, pray for one another, stir up one another, do not speak against one another, do not grumble against one another, confess to one another. And just thinking about this, I, I was very convicted knowing that 
as we're all members of a local body, this comes with responsibilities, and God has called us to conduct ourselves in a certain way to each other as believers. And it is our great privilege to do this because, Paul says in verse 7, it brings great glory to God and greatly honors Him. And um, I think just some other truths about the one another is we know we can't live in isolation. God has a plan for the, the body uh, to be together, to minister to one another. And we're, we're joined together in this mystical union as believers. We're, one pastor said we're welded together as many members of one body. And um, as Grant mentioned, this spirit of unity doesn't mean compromise. It just means that we, we take every step possible to be long-suffering with our brothers when we're uh, bearing with their fa- failings. <clears throat> but that's all I got for the one another's. No, it's, that's great. Papa, anything uh, that are on one to seven yet? Um, one boy, uh, talking about the unity and the one another's in... Um, Six there says that together you may with one voice, I think one mouth. Mm. Uh, one commentator said that's worship. That's you know, with one voice, one mouth, one to glorify God. Uh, so again, that's the one anotherness coming together mm. in unity and to, to, to worship the Lord. So Yeah, neat. It was something that one of you guys pointed out earlier that made me just think how, what a joy it is to be able to grow together in areas that we don't. I think one of the most joyful times we can have is a good, when we disagree about something where we can really just talk and enjoy each other's um, ideas coming maybe from a little bit of a different way. But boy, those have been my best brothers in Christ that will say, hey, can we talk about that a little bit? And, and uh, a little bit of back and forth. I really hope that we can grow in those and, and enjoy those. And not take it personally that someone has a little bit of a different view, you know, on these areas. I just think it's a great way to grow. I think we see that hopefully at North Avenue where there's great unity on the things that Scripture is very clear on. And on other things, we can grow from each other and just challenge each other as, as iron sharpens uh, iron. Uh, Grant, how about reading um, 8 to 13, and we'll look for an insight or two here. Okay. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. <clears throat> As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Yeah, don't you love 13 there, Papa? Well, it's just as typical Paul. He'll just be cruising along, and he'll just blast out with one of these doxologies, mm-hmm. and just out of nowhere, just to remind us, or remind himself even, sometimes, almost like Spurgeon. If you're a Spurgeon follower, you know he does that. He'll be cruising along, and then he'll suddenly just worship. 
Yeah, and made the glory for everything. It's almost like he can't help but. Right, it's an overflow of his. Yeah. End of 11. Uh, yes. It was like that. Yeah. 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 You were commenting yesterday on the phone, Papa, about just the Old Testament um, idea of Gentiles here. And then it made a little bit, maybe it was a little hard for the Jews, and that maybe is understandable. I'm a little, uh, sometimes I don't understand, uh, like, hey, wait a second, guys, how are you? Why does Paul have to come at you like he does um, in Romans here? But there was the idea of being separate from the Gentiles, and then now there's a little bit of a of a different take to it, right? Now that the Gentiles have been grafted in, so talk to us about how the the Jews had to make a little bit of this, a little bit of a switch. Well, I think it's a major switch. I mean, it, it was a, it's a it, to them. I think it was a doctrinal thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had, uh, I mean, I, the scripture even reveals this, that, you know, God first worked uh, through a family and, and then Abraham and his, his descendants. And, um, uh, and then when, when, when the covenant came through Moses, uh, there was the law. And, 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 you know, you had the, the civil law and the dietary and the sacrificial. I mean, it was very complicated. It's hard for me even going through Leviticus to keep up with all the different requirements. And, but they would have learned this over uh, millennial mm-hmm. uh, and millennia. And, and then to suddenly be told, hey, Christ completed that and sacrificed himself for you. So it's no longer need to, to do sacrifices. It's no longer like, like what Peter found out when the sheet came down. Yep. I can eat anything. Uh, and suddenly, you know, to go from kosher to hey, whatever, uh, that's a pretty major. And so you could, now you can understand why Paul encountered so much opposition in his missionary journeys because he had these groups of, of Judaizers that wanted to take him out. Cause no, and I think Mark really helped us with that through the Acts series. But yeah, even Peter, after just spending three years with the Lord, that's right. I mean, it was almost shocking to him. It's like, that's right. wow, really? I think so. That was a hard, hard nut to crack. And, yeah. And uh, but now we have a a newfound freedom in Christ, and and then in, in uh, fifteen, we see that the whole purpose was that we would show God's faithfulness that the gospel would extend to the Gentiles as well. And we can be really glad it, it was. And that's and that was God's purpose from the beginning mm-hmm. to, to include the Gentiles, except that he did that through uh, this the Jews. Right. And I'm not sure they ever totally got that mission. Yeah. No, that's, that's probably good. Anything, uh, Grant, Josh, from 8 to 13? Do you have there? How about 14 to 21 for us, Josh? You want me to read it? Please. 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. 
by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Mm. Yeah, any insights from that, from it, from from you guys? I think 14, um, maybe just to talk about counseling just for a minute, um, way back in, I think, 1970, the biblical counseling movement as a whole um, was virtually non-existent. All the counseling that was going on in the church was not, um, there was really no broader church theological counseling understanding. It was all being done outside of the church. And um, this verse really began to change some things um, as one pastor named Jay Adams began to see what this verse was actually saying in is verse the, 14. He's one of the guys. Okay. He passed away a couple years ago. But um, the counseling field at that time was really dominated by Freud and some of Freud's followers. You know, Freud was really prominent late 1800s, early 1900s, and that carried on all the way through the 40s and 50s and into the 60s. And Jay Adams saw, saw this verse, and biblical counseling at, early on was called neuthetic counseling. And that word comes from this verse, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Neutheteo, that's the, the word instruct there. And um, for Jay Adams, there was a growing conviction that believers ought to be... Uh, able to instruct one another with the things of Scripture to help one another out in their personal problems. And it was not that they had an innate goodness in themselves, but uh, they were growing in their ability to do good to others. Filled with all knowledge, they had discernment and able to instruct from the truth of Scripture to one another. So I just thought that was a, a maybe a neat insight there from 14. Uh, and that was in 1917, really? 1970, he wrote a book called Competent to Counsel. 70 or 17? 70, 1970. Oh, 70, yeah. okay. So I'm at a Sproul convention, Jay Adams, it was so good, he was talking from Isaiah. Yeah, I'll never forget it, really, this brilliant. Well, I think about 2 Timothy 3, I, was, I, was, uh, I resurrected these verses because of, of uh, the reference to Scripture here, but I think of all Scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. That's a good one, too, for counseling. Yeah, and when you see, yes, thank you. That's You look at Paul, his desire was to get the gospel to places it had never been before. Look at verse 20, and I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, for those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Doesn't that remind you of flip back a few pages to chapter 10? Remember, um, and this sure. is convicting for us, uh, we need to get out and make the gospel known. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, how then 
will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And then 17, what a glorious verse. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Just the emphasis on scripture and us in missions getting out to other places where people haven't heard. And there are just so many places in our world that uh, that need the gospel. And, um, you know, you get, we need to go like Paul to places where people have never heard before. Any other things before we uh, get to 22 to um, 32 here? Papa, how about reading that if you would? 22... Um, to the end of the chapter. I'll be and glad to. Thank you, Jerry. The word of the Lord. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years... Now, that, he's not saying that, that there's not... 100% of the people are believers, but he's presented the gospel, so they've heard. Um, but now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I've longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. Once again, I've enjoyed your company for a while. Uh, at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings, they ought to also be of service to them in material blessings. When, therefore, I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will be in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Amen. What do you think? Anything that you see here that stands out? How about you, Papa? Well, he's... um. Uh, he's almost a... You know, he's, he's giving a, a reason why he, he has been hindered from coming to them and I think it's simply because he's of his missionary work mm -hmm. but but he, he encourages them by saying I'm, I'm going to come see you I, uh, I'm, I'm going to stop by on my way to Spain so that's where we get that reference that he may have eventually gone to Spain especially after his release first release uh, and to encourage them uh, by saying I'm coming to see you and, and then of course he mentions he jumps right in and mentions this collection of of for the poor yeah and and that's really major in paul's he he mentions this in all of his writings that and and we don't know why the the church in jerusalem was uh poor i suspect it's because of persecution uh from the jews um uh, and and uh and 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 initially you know the it was the um it was the Christianity was not a white collar faith. It was sort of a blue collar following. I mean, there was a man on the street that was following Jesus, and and probably didn't have a whole lot of resources anyway. 
and 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 so Paul has, has, has felt led. I'm sure he's encouraged by uh, James, you know, to collect these monies for for the church, and so he's simply mentioning it, you know, uh, as part of his uh, mission. Uh, he's going to come see them, but uh, he's also asking them to contribute to that. So yeah, I think that happens a little more often than I realize. That Paul had more to deal with money. Then well, he mentions it all quite frequently. Bit, I, don't, I, don't, I, I, didn't, I don't know the references, but yes. in, in almost all of his letters he mentions that, you know, he's it collecting. Sure, it sure seems like that. And um, and to think about, well, that's a, you know, 27 is pretty pointed, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to him. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they also ought, they ought also to be service to them in material blessings. So... So that's good. When we're helped by um, someone spiritually, we should be able to chip in um, financially. Absolutely, and, and that's part of the one anotherness, I think. Yeah. No, absolutely. Josh Grant. It just, just a quick comment. It strikes me how intense and ambitious Paul was in his proclamation of the gospel. I mean. He had done his work in Jerusalem area and then up a little bit more north to Antioch and in his third journey branched further out in Macedonia and Ephesus and he had his eyes set on Spain, you know, almost to the to the edge of the known world, I believe, at that time. And um, Rome was just kind of a stopping place for him. And uh, one pastor said, at heart, Romans is a, a missionary letter. He's, he's writing to a church trying to recruit their support for him financially, but also spiritually. He wanted to be encouraged by the Roman church and wanted to be edified and um, be edified by them, but also to build them up in the faith as well. And there, there is um, such, I, I think, a shared unity in the uh, lives of saints all around the world. <clears throat> as you see this here. Good anything there, Grant? It seems like, you know, Paul is not someone who is seeking to be comfortable. You know, he wants to move on where Christ has not been proclaimed. He wants to go into Spain. He doesn't seem like the type of person that is prone to timidity or, or discouragement. Mm -hmm. And we skipped over it, but I think um, verse 13 could be key for that. Uh, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And I think what a wonderful verse that we could turn into prayer for uh, the people in our local body, the one another's that we interact with, and for ourselves. And I think especially for the men in a day that is continually becoming more and more dark, that we would be filled with joy and peace in believing, knowing that we as Gentiles have been grafted in we have been united to Christ. We have been elected by a sovereign God who is in control of everything. And we are united to Christ Jesus, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. And so I think, you know, I'm thinking of Scott uh, putting in something to application and, and that we can be praying for one another, that God would fill us with joy and peace in our believing and that by the power of the Holy Spirit that we would abound in hope. And I think that can dispel a lot of discouragement and timidity that may creep in and ever... Uh, increasingly darkening, darkening time. Yes, that's really good. Um, one thing that has just got me here in these last few minutes is Paul uh, kind of trying to connect three things here. Last summer, uh, you might remember, we talked in Colossians, the last verse in Colossians 1, 
you see two things here, man's responsibility and God's sovereignty all tied in together. And remember how Paul does this, and he never um, asked to explain it. It's just assumed that there should be 100% of both. For this I toil, struggling with all of his energy um, that he powerfully works within me. So Paul toils, he struggles, but the reason that Paul, and you got me, Josh, where you said, man, how ambitious he is. He is never lacking ambition. You would never hear Paul, you can't imagine hearing Paul say, oh man, I'm getting burnt out on ministry, right? There was no such thing to Paul. He never did that. Well, why? Because he was toiling and struggling as, as hard as he could be. These, I think these words are as, you know, like something you do in the gym, that you toil, you struggle. But it was with his energy. Well, how did he get all of his energy? How did he use God's energy? I find it really interesting here. He asked people to pray. Do you see that in verse 30? And sometimes I wonder if maybe we're not quick enough to ask people to pray for us. Maybe sometimes we ask it too much and kind of the, hey, look at me. But I wonder if sometimes we ought to, maybe in our pride, and Grant, you mentioned men a couple times in our pride, like we're the group that's known as we'll never need directions, we never need anything, we're just gonna, you know, we're gonna go it on our own. And that's craziness, right? We need to ask, we need to ask people, have brothers and sisters in Christ that you can ask people to pray. Papa has become that to me. I used to call my mom, now I just call Papa. Mom's in heaven. And I call Papa and I say, Papa, I need you. I need you to pray. And, and he does. He's but we don't know what to pray for, too, sometimes even. And, 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 and it's a, it's, again, it's a community thing. It's a one another thing. And in, the, in that, in the Romans 8, the Holy Spirit will pray for us. That's we right. Know that Ronnie's too deep for work, John. Yep. But look at that verse 30. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. So he wasn't at all too proud or, or whatever you would say. He knew he needed God's praying, other people praying so that God would give him energy so that he could struggle and toil. I think we can put those three together maybe. So let's be quicker to do that. It's a blessing when someone asks us to pray for them, isn't it? And then how guilty am I to say, oh yeah, I'll pray, and then maybe I don't do it. If I don't do it right then, I might forget, or I might get busy with other things. So let's be faithful to pray for each other, and maybe be more willing, don't you think, maybe, to be more willing to ask for that? More deliberate. Yes, sir. And, and, and that would, how would that spur us on? And I think we should never really, if we're wearing out in ministry, if we're feeling like we're the word these days would be burnt out, whatever really that even means, to say, I'm not even sure that should be a thing, right? I don't think that should be the, the way. Then we're using our energy if we're burned out because God's energy is continual, you know, that, that we have here. Any final thoughts? Uh, you mentioned earlier um, about the offering. It says, for they were, in 27, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. Yeah, owe it again. And, and I, one commentator said, grace makes us debtors to those in need. Mm. Good. That's really good. Papa, can you pray? Certainly. Uh, 
Father, thank you for this uh, um, robust discussion, I think uh, would be the term uh, we've had in Romans 15. Uh, uh, I, at first glance, I, I, I thought to myself, it's, it's just a continuation of, of 14, and in some respects it is, but it, but it expands, it includes the Jews and the Gentiles, and then uh, Paul's mission to on beyond to Spain and, and or to Rome and, and and no telling where, and Lord, that's that's and that's our mission today. And, and Paul's encouraging us to, to, to take this gospel, which, uh, which he's been entrusted with, to the Gentiles. And, and we're been blessed to be grafted in as Gentiles. So let us feel compelled to take this gospel to the world. Uh, to those, well, how does it say, to those who have never been told of him, we'll see. And those who have never heard will understand. And, and those, there's countless numbers of those individuals right now in the world. Uh, we ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Good deal. Thank you. Hey, once again, next week, please uh, join uh, Sunday School in the uh, auditorium. And then in two weeks, we will, um, sadly, close up our, our time in Romans. Lord willing. We can start back with one again. That's what I'm hoping. <laughs>